Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, first on today's show, a little bit of business news. Bit, bit business news. Um, it's probably not the biggest business story of the year, if you're looking at it from a traditional Wall Street point of view, but just as certainly the biggest business story of the year so far, if you're just looking for wackiness in the world of business. In uh, spring of this year, Elon Musk, who didn't start Tesla, he bought it, and then he started up a couple other companies, SpaceX, which has put some stuff in space, and the Boring Company, which has not yet dug a tunnel in Los Angeles, as promised. He uh, wanted to buy, or announced he wanted to buy, Twitter, the social media that some of us are on. And then, uh, sorry, and he offered kind of a gag price, $54.20, because 420 is the uh, statute on the California uh, law books that relates to cannabis. And, you know, it's a wink to the cannabis users to put 420 into stuff. So he offered $54.20, which at the time wasn't a crazy price. It was a little bit more than the stock was trading at, but then the bottom fell out of the market and the stock, and he decided, I don't want to buy this anymore. And the people at Twitter said, we have a contract, sir. You're buying it. And just before the beginning of the trial on that subject, Elon Musk went, okay, okay, I'm buying it. And I can't negotiate down the price. And I announced that I wasn't doing due diligence because I was in such a hurry to buy it. And now I'm discovering what I bought. And... um now, he's got, well, he's the richest man in the world, we keep hearing. And yet, the minute he buys Twitter, he says, oh, crap, I got to pay the bills here. And so he announces that a blue check mark, which had been offered to uh, celebrities and powerful people, people who didn't want to... Um, be mistaken for somebody else on Twitter. So these were blue checks that verified that they were who they said they were. Those were going to be changed. And now, because we got to pay the bills, he was going to charge $8 a month for those blue checks. Oh, and by the way, they were no longer going to represent verifying who people said they are. They're not going to verify anything. They're just verifying that you paid $8 a month. So he used to, or the company used to, give you something valuable for free. Now they're going to charge you for nothing. I guess, I guess that's what happens when you have a company run by somebody who really didn't want to buy it.
That's the business news for this week. Hello, welcome to the show. From Santa Monica, California, home from the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. We start off this segment by asking you if you know what NFTs are yet. They uh, came on the scene, I guess, last year, this year, part of the whole um, blockchain, Tom? Blockchain. Blockchain thing. Um, that's connected to cryptocurrency. NFTs were uh, are marketed as things that you can buy, though and own, though you can't prevent people from copying them because they're digital and digital allows perfect, endless perfect copies. So what you really have bought 
is the right to say you own the thing. Anyway, yeah, that's that's as well as I can explain it. But uh, this week, the British Tech Journal, the Register, took a somewhat um, more studied approach at explaining NFTs. And I'll share that with you now. Non-fungible tokens for dummies. Want to buy nothing? You'd probably say no. That's because people don't like nothing. They like scarcity and status. In the digital world, scarcity doesn't work because data can be infinitely replicated. But what if I faked digital scarcity? A database with limited spaces, each identified by a unique number. Think of a line of people lining up for nothing. There's no value inherent in one spot over another. But I sell you a position in the line. I'm not selling you the line or its destination. There isn't one. Just the right to stand in this particular location. You give me a dollar and I give you some paperwork signed by yours truly that says you have the right to stand there. Your position in the line combined with my paper is a token that can't be recreated. There's only one of each position. It is, therefore, non-fungible. The blockchain checks every single sale of a position in line, and once you've bought your spot, it's listed on the blockchain. Want to sell your position to someone else? You can. And that transaction will be listed on the blockchain too. But why would anyone want a spot in my queue? Well, what if I put a poster next to your position? Every spot now has a unique poster, and buying a place in the queue means that you can now stand next to that poster. You don't own the poster. You don't own the image on the poster. You, you can't reproduce the image, or sell copies, or claim any other type of ownership. What you bought is the right to stand next to that poster. That's it. You can show your friends the receipt that says you can stand there. They might even think it's cool. Congratulations. You now understand NFTs. Yes, it really is that stupid. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. How much microplastics do you think whales eat? I know you probably haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but some people at Stanford have. New study from Stanford has revealed the staggering and concerning amount of microplastics eaten by whales every day. Biggest animals on Earth are forced to consume up to 10,000 of the tiniest man-made pollutants on a daily basis. That's a number far higher than previously thought. So they've been thinking about it. 
study published in the journal Nature Communications this week shows the consumption of microplastics comes not from the whale gulping them down directly in ocean water, but through one giant step down in the food chain as they eat their primary prey, krill. Let's have some tons of krill today. What do you say? Well, if you're a whale, you say, mm-mm. There's only one link, said study co-author Matthew Savoka. The krill eat the plastic, and then the whale eats the krill. Toxic particles, called microplastics, as you know, are polymer fragments created through the erosion of plastic waste. They're found in a range of far-flung environments, from the floor of the Mariana Trench to the summit of Mount Everest. Krill are shrimp-like crustaceans that form almost the entirety of the blue whale's diet. How boring is that? They're able to consume microplastics due to their gastric mill type of digestion system. No, me neither. And complex digestive enzymes. As a part of a decades-long project of research into the habits of whales, Stanford scientists studied the feeding habits of blue fin and humpbacks from 50 to 250 yards below the surface of the water. This region of the ocean is home, ocean I say, is home to the highest population of microplastic filled krill. Mmm, filled krill. The amount of microplastics at that depth largely in the, in the intestines of the crustacean is tenfold higher than on the surface, according to the study. The study found that blue whales, which can weigh up to 200 tons and consume around four tons of krill a day, yeah, see, you don't envy them anymore, do you? They eat 10,000 toxic particles daily. The humpback, which primarily eats small fish, consume about 200,000 pieces of microplastics. Fin whales, who eat both krill and fish, take in between 3 and 10 million pieces. No, we don't know a lot about what this mass consumption of plastics may do to the whales, but the scientists are concerned. We don't know if the whales are. Quote, it could be scratching the linings of their stomach, it could be absorbed into the bloodstream, or it could all pass through the animal. We don't know yet, says the lead author of the study. And we're, eat we're eating those microplastics too, thanks to our Teflon. Scientists from Newcastle University and Flinders University have now been able to measure how millions of tiny plastic particles potentially come off your nonstick cookware during cooking and in the wash as nonstick pots and pans gradually lose their coating. Yeah, even Teflon isn't permanent. Just one surface crack on a Teflon-coated pan can release about 9,100 plastic particles. That's according to researchers from the Global Center for Environmental Reme Remediation and Flinders Institute of Neuroscale Science and Engineering. Engineering, I say. At a micro scale, we've identified the release of 2.3 million microplastics and nanoplastics from broken coating. The nonstick coating material Teflon is generally a family member of PFAS, 
says the researcher Dr. Chang Fang. PFAS is part of a family of chemicals that is of great concern to scientists at the moment for their ability to stick around. Odd in a nonstick coating, isn't it? Given the fact that PFAS is a big concern, these Teflon microparticles in our food might be a health concern, which needs investigating, says Dr. Cheng Fang, because we don't know as much. We don't know much about these emerging contaminants. Study developed a molecular spectrum approach to directly visualize and identify the Teflon microplastics and nanoplastics. They're more difficult to monitor than other plastics. Another researcher, Dr. Yu Hong Tang, says the study highlights the need to gain insights into the threat of Teflon plastic debris during daily cooking. Quote, it gives us a strong warning that we must be careful about selecting and using cooking utensils to avoid food contamination. Study is published in the journal Science of the Total Environment. I read it for the totality. And now, Arab segments focusing on abuse. First, use of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. Well, in a documentary broadcast by uh, the German public television channel ARD, you know it for uh, the Muppets. I don't think that, I don't know if they have the Muppets. Anyway, John Humpel, the 10-meter platform silver medalist at the 1996 Atlanta Games, gave his first public account of his alleged abuse at the hands of his former coach, Werner Langer. Langer died 21 years ago. Quote, I was abused by my coach, Hempel said. He never missed an opportunity to give free rein to his desires and his needs. Hempel, unquote. Hempel claimed the abuse occurred between 1982 and 96. That's 14 years, he reported Langer's actions to the National Aquatics coach in 1997. Langer, the coach, was subsequently suspended, not over the reported abuse, but due to his alleged past with the former East German secret police, the Stasi. That's according to the West, <laughs> not West, the German news media, Deutsche Welle. Quote, everyone kept quiet until today, Hempel said, expressing his deep disappointment with the German Swimming Federation, quote, I had to feel in my own body for many years that only sporting success is important to the Federation, and that everything else, whether it be one's health or any kind of problem, is actually put completely to one side. The uh, channel, ARD, reported the current leadership of the German Swimming Federation first learned about Hempel's accusations from the broadcaster. Another athlete who wished to remain anonymous reported in the same documentary that Langer, the coach, had once become, quote, physical with him 
while he slept. Hempel's desire to have his story heard became more urgent since he was diagnosed with incipient Alzheimer's. Now I can still remember it, he explained. I think you owe it to others to talk about it for the future. The Swimming Federation said it was deeply shocked by the description of the terrible experiences of the victims of sexualized and sexual violence. In the name of the f entire Federation, we would like to apologize to the victims for the fact that they were forced to suffer such traumatic experiences. The revelations about abuse cases in swimming make people angry and concerned, wrote Athletes Deutschland, a German athletes advocacy group. They showed these are not individual cases, but structural failures. Unfortunately, the need for an independent center for safe sport becomes clear. Hard to imagine it happening around the Olympics, isn't it? It's a movement. We all need one. Every day. I said this was a pair of segments about abuse. Here comes some news of the godly. Several years after Chicago Cardinal, I know that they don't play there. This is not what I'm... Chicago Cardinal Blaise Kupik began cracking down on religious orders to report their sexually abusive clergy members who preyed on minors. The Archdiocese of Chicago has added dozens of other priests to its online listing of predatory clergy. But Kupik is kill, still keeping secrets on clergy sex abuse of minors, according to the Chicago Sun-Times, even though the Archdiocese instantly nearly doubled the size of its list of clergy deemed to have been credibly accused of sexually abusing children. There are significant gaps in what's been added. These include the omissions of some clergy members whose orders deemed them to have molested children or who were the subject of lawsuits over predatory sexual acts that church officials settled. Don't need to need, read their names here, but Cupic had long made clear his position that child abuse, sex abuse by clergy members from Catholic orders operating in his geographic territory was something he thought was best left for the orders to deal with. That's why they're called orders. No, it's not. A pan-African monthly news magazine has accused the Society of St. Pius X, a group of ultra-traditionalist priests no longer in communion with Rome, of covering up sexual abuse that its members committed against minors at a school that operates in Gabon. The October issue of Jeune Afrique published a lengthy investigative report on the Society, a religious Congregation founded by the late Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, claiming that uh, several of the so-called Lefebvreist priests raped underage boys at a school 
in Libreville, the coastal national capital of Gabon. The allegations first surfaced last March when a traditionalist website in the United States called Church Militant posted a video titled Black Trads Matter that denounced perpetrators of sexual violence within the SSPX on the African continent. But wait, there's more. Deadline Guadalajara, the spiritual leader, is behind bars in California after pleading guilty to sexually abusing minors, yet legions of followers of Nason Joaquin Garcia in his home base in Mexico remain fervently loyal to him, viewing him in prison as a challenge that will strengthen their church. La luz del mundo, rather than weaken it, That's according to the AP. His continued hold on his flock was evident recently at the Christian Church's main temple in Guadalajara as thousands gathered to pray for their absent leader during their Holy Supper, the most sacred festivity for La Luz. Then Mundo, the light of the world, to gasps of surprise, Joaquin Garcia addressed the congregation by phone from his L.A. prison where he's doing a, a hard 16 years. I do not see the bars that separate me from you. He told his followers, I see your beautiful faces because you are the children of God. I thought that we all were. Many members of the church founded in Mexico in 1926 and now active in many countries aren't ready to abandon Joaquin Garcia as their apostle, the term used for the church's leader. Many believe he was sent by God to preach to them and are convinced he is innocent despite his guilty plea. So he's a liar, but he's... Uh, and a German prelate who served as bishop in Ecuador is not only accused of having sexually abused minors in several countries. As director of a German aid organization, he also helped pedophile priests wanted by authorities to escape prosecution. This according to an independent investigation. The late Bishop Emil Stehl known in Latin America as Emilio Lorenzo Stel, had been accused by sex, uh, of sexual abuse in 16 cases, according to the German Bishops' Conference. He is, as I said, no longer with us. That's the good news of the godly copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
He's a tramp He's a scoundrel He is around us He's a cat Yes, he's a tramp But I love him Yes, even I have got it pretty You can never tell when he'll show up Here gives you a plenty of trouble I guess he's just a no-account But I, I wish that he was double He's a tramp He's a rogue And there's nothing, nothing more to say But if he's a trap Oh, he's a good one And I wish that I could travel Yes, I wish that I could travel his way From Santa Monica, this is the show. Ladies and gentlemen, you may be aware that there were stories this week apparently leaked from Trump world to the effect that um, the former guy is mulling when he should announce that he's running for president in 2024. Yeah, me too. I'm wondering what that's like. This week, for the first time, 2024 becomes a publicly acknowledged target. And for the former chief executive turned ex-businessman, the question of the hour is when to announce what's already known. Okay, Hope. You there, Hopey? I'm here, sir. Great. I can see you. I can't smell you, but okay. (laughs) Is that Boris with you? Do rappers wear chains? Say hello, Boris. Lady wants to hear you. I hope. Okay, enough of this. I'm not getting any younger. 
Neither are we, sir. Great, good to know. So, obviously, I withheld my announcement until after Election Day. So, obviously, the question now is, when do I announce? Well, uh, Mr. Still President, I think the obvious question is, what are you trying to accomplish with the announcement? Well, it's obvious that the goal is to get the most media attention, as always, about everything. Right, Hopi? Well, I think we're trying to maximize the right kind of media attention, no? See, this is why I like to keep this gal around. (laughs) She sees everything in both dimensions. So, what's the right kind, sweetheart? Well, I know what's the wrong kind. Hmm? A lot of pundits saying you're announcing early just to scare possible other candidates out of even considering throwing their hats in the ring. And that's wrong because what? Because it's true or something? Uh, Mr. Still President, obviously we have to announce very soon. Or we have to wait almost two months until after the holidays have uh, stolen all the attention. Jesus, he's right. If they're not stealing elections from me, they're stealing attention. What a witch hunt. I think it's possible, sir, that after all the ads and the yelling... Maybe people would like a break from politics for a couple months, no? Listen, if I don't want a break from politics, why would they? Yeah, nobody's breaking the door down to answer that question. Okay, (laughs) let's say I don't do it my way. When's good after the holidays? Lincoln's birthday? Groundhog Day? Friggin' Easter? Oh, Mr. Still President, that gets back to Hope's question. Thanks, boss. The best kind of attention is it's been a rumor for a couple of weeks, and then bang, you confirm it. You get to say, for once, that the fake media got it right. That allows you to sound sensible and fair. Okay, but that raises a strategy question. Do I even want to sound sensible and fair? It does fear a little off-brand, doesn't it? See, I, I still think I make an announcement before, like, Thanksgiving. It freezes all the possible opponents from declaring until after the holidays. With all the food and the booze, my message has time to sink in, not to mention all the family stuff. They still do that, right? Okay, one more point. You know how every year they start playing Christmas music earlier and earlier? <laughs> and that's kind of irritating. Aren't we doing the same thing by making the announcement much earlier than usual for a candidate? I'll tell you the truth. My wife turns on the Christmas music station the minute they start up. I didn't even marry a six. I, I was going to say that, but uh, I didn't know the word. You guys ought to take up English. So look, okay, I'm going to go with my gut. Many people tell me it's the smartest part of my body. Let's schedule the announcement for the week before Thanksgiving. Allow enough room so uh, I'm not stepping on any of the turkey stuff, right? Okay. Fine. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We're going to make announcing great again. No offense. No problem. The Mara Apprentice. This week, real campaigns never end. Now, news of our friend the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Well, France's electric nuclear utility, EDF, 
says uh, production at their nuclear plants has gone uh, down again from their initial estimates for this year. The latest setback for EDF's race to restore operations at dozens of reactors that have been shut down for months because of safety risks from defective welds or scheduled maintenance. France, as you may know, gets about 70% of its electricity from nuclear power. The coming winter spike in demand means it'll have to buy electricity from the European power market, where prices have soared after Russia invaded Ukraine. You heard about that, right? EDF had already warned in September of a 29 billion euro financial hit from the reactor works. The company didn't reveal the uh, economic hit from its latest update. It said four reactors originally set to be back online in November or December, now going to be operational only in late January or February. About half of the country's 56 reactors were taken offline, many because of fears over micro-cracks discovered in emergency cooling systems. We talked about that last week. And Europe's largest nuclear power plant is relying on emergency diesel generators to run its safety systems again after external power from the Ukrainian electric grid was again cut off. This is from Ukraine and UN officials. Reported by the AP, fighting in Ukraine has repeatedly damaged power lines and electrical substations that the Zaporizhia plant requires to operate its in-house safety systems. I guess its outhouse safety systems are taken care of in another way. Operators are forced, in turn, to back up generators to cool its six reactors until regular power is restored. All six reactors have been shut down. The generators have enough fuel to maintain the plant for 15 days. The countdown has begun, according to the Ukrainian power company Energoatom. It says it has limited possibilities to maintain the plant in a safe mode, raising fears, according to the AP, of a potential nuclear disaster. The uh, International Atomic Energy Agency confirmed the switch to backup diesel generators, said that it underlines, quote, the extremely precarious nuclear safety and security situation at Zaporizhia. Relying on diesel generators, according to the head of the UN's nuclear watchdog agency, is not a sustainable way to operate a major nuclear facility. He adds, measures are needed to prevent a nuclear accident at the site. The establishment of a nuclear safety and security protection zone is urgently needed, he says. And then the Russians and the Ukrainians argue about who's worse. Clean Jeep, too safe to meet, or our friend the Atom. Now, just a a bit of news of the warm. A team of researchers at Nanyang Technological University... Tom? Oh, thanks. No, come on. Nanyang Technological University. Yeah, so you wasn't that hard. A team there working with a group of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory folks and another colleague in Zurich has found evidence showing that parts of many big coastal cities are sinking faster than the sea is rising. In their paper, 
published in the journal Nature Sustainability. There's a group of optimists. The group describes using satellite-based radar to measure the degree of land subsidence for 48 of the largest cities in the world. Prior research showed global warming is melting ice around the world, leading to rising sea levels. That's a major concern to cities and towns that lie on the edges of the sea, but many cities also face this other problem, land subsidence, in which the land sinks due to removal of groundwater or gas and compaction of the ground from the massive weight of buildings on top of it. Hadn't thought of that, had you? I hadn't. In this new effort, the researchers noted that rising sea levels compounded with sinking land could result in major problems for coastal cities in the years ahead. To learn more about the degree of the problem, the researchers accessed and analyzed radar data from NASA satellites that measure land altitude. And all the researchers measured land subsidence for 48 of the largest cities of the world over the years 2014 to 2020. They found that nearly all of the cities they studied were experiencing some degree of land subsidence, and in 44 of them, some areas were sinking at a faster rate than the sea is rising. The researchers took a uh, closer look at some cities, such as Rio de Janeiro, found that approximately almost one square mile of land inside the city limits will be underwater by 2030 if measures are not taken to hold back the rising sea. They could try raising the land, too, but we don't know how to do that yet, ever. And now. Remember the fire festival that uh, doomed immersive experience? It made two documentaries about it, but it never happened, really. Well, Billy McFarland, the convicted founder of the festival, is apologizing for his role in the controversial non-event. Quote, I need to apologize, and that is the first and last thing that needs to be done. He said, I let people down, I let down employees, I let down their families, I let down investors, so I need to apologize. I'm wrong, and it's bad, unquote. He pleaded guilty to two counts of wire fraud in federal court. In 2018, admitted to using false documents to attract investors who put more than $26 million into his company. He served almost four years of a six-year sentence, including two stints in solitary, but is now out of prison. Quote, I was wrong, I messed up, and I was so driven by this desperate desire to prove people right, I think I was just so insecure, I thought that the only way to prove myself to other people was to succeed. That led me down just the terrible path of bad decisions. I started lying to get the money, and I would literally wake up every day to a document we called Urgent Payment Sheet. And it had an amount of money that I had to acquire before my bank closed that day to stop the company from going underwater. So I was literally doing day-to-day whatever it took. And looking back, it was so incredibly stupid, unquote. Michigan State coach Mel Tucker expressed his disappointment this week over the actions of several of its players. 
Following their involvement in an altercation with Michigan defensive back Jaden McBurrows after Saturday's game in Ann Arbor, Tucker opened his press conference with a statement addressing the fight and the decision he made to suspend four of his players after reviewing video evidence with the athletic director. The Big Ten and the University of Michigan Police Department have since launched an investigation into the incident. Quote, Michigan State football is about integrity, discipline, unselfishness, toughness, and accountability. The incidents involving a small group of our players do not represent our culture, Tucker said. I made a decision to suspend players based on video evidence that was provided to me and our athletic director yesterday. The suspensions will allow the players to receive academic support and medical services, but they'll not be able to attend any organized team activities. Our entire team will be cooperating with law enforcement. These suspensions will remain in place until the investigations are completed. He issued a statement condemning the fight right afterwards, then apologized to both schools, the Big Ten and all Spartans and Wolverine supporters for their players' unacceptable actions. We're not here to make any excuses for the behaviors, he said. They are unacceptable. Unquote. Newfoundland and Labrador's Attorney General, yes, it's one province, issued an apology this week on behalf of the province to victims of sexual abuse, here we go again, at youth care facilities in the 1970s and 80s in the wake of a multi-million dollar settlement. John Hogan, who is also the provincial justice minister, read the apology in the House of Assembly saying the government must learn from past mistakes and ensure no other children ensure the same traumas. Well, I don't send them to church or the ones that do that. In September, the Provincial Supreme Court approved a 12, almost a $13 million settlement for victims at three provincial institutions for young offenders and youth in care, including one in Pleasantville. On Thursday, Hogan apologized on behalf of the provincial government the sole defendant in the lawsuit. He praised the courage of victims for coming forward. Speaking of victims, the Catholic Diocese of Rochester, New York, is going to pay $55 million to survivors of, yes, sexual abuse committed by clergy members under a settlement announced by church officials. Bishop Salvatore Matano said um, survivors may also be able to pursue further claims with the insurance company of the diocese. That's nice. Settlement was negotiated with abuse survivors. Matano, whose diocese was the first in New York State to seek bankruptcy protection under the weight of abuse lawsuits, apologized to survivors in a letter to the faithful. Quote, the history of sexual abuse of children in our church has caused tremendous pain, hardship, alienation, and understandable anger, Matano said. Church officials say they hope the settlement will enable the diocese to emerge from bankruptcy sometime next year. The New York Post employee who was fired after publishing a slew of phony, sexist, and racist headlines on the newspaper's website and Twitter account, has apologized for what he described as a tantrum and 
the utmost betrayal. Quote, I let my own stupidity get the best of me, said Miguel Gonzalez. I deserve to get fired for a very volatile, irresponsible, and disgusting action. I disrespected the post, and it's my responsibility to now apologize. How can you not disrespect the post? WLBT morning anchor Barbie Bassett. This is in Jackson, Mississippi, where the anchors are named things like Barbie. She's apologized for an offensive comment she made on air. She referred to Carmen Poe's grandmother as her grandmammy. That was a term slaves used for their grandmothers. Poe is African-American. Station says it had meaningful internal conversations and discussions about this situation. Bassett, Barbie Bassett, apologized. I used a term that was offensive to many in our audience and to my co-workers. Though not intentional, I now understand how my comment was both insensitive and hurtful. I've apologized to Carmen Poe. Now I'd like to apologize to you. That is not the heart of who I am. I apologize to everyone who offended. I will learn from this and participate in training. I can't mend the hurt my comment caused. I pray you'll forgive me and you'll get, extend grace through this awful mistake. Unquote. Morning anchor Barbie Bassett. Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving has apologized to those, quote, hurt from my hateful remarks made in the documentary that he shared on social media just hours after his team suspended him for at least five games. To all Jewish families and communities that are hurt and offended from my post, I'm deeply sorry to have caused you pain, and I apologize, he wrote, or his lawyer wrote on Instagram. He added, I know had no intentions to disrespect Jewish cultural history regarding the Holocaust or perpetuate any hate. I'm learning from this unfortunate event and hope we can find understanding between us all. I'm no different from any other human being. I'm a seeker of truth and knowledge. And I know who I am. It's a weird way to end an apology. He faced intense backlash since he posted a link to the film Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America, which the owner of the net said is full of anti-Semitic disinformation. Despite a strong rebuke from the NBA Nets and former players, Irving had continued to double down on his stance until the team suspended him. For five games, gee, man, that's got to hurt. Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, apologized for falsely claiming that George Floyd died of fentanyl rather than police brutality. Floyd's family had already announced plans to file a $250 million lawsuit against him for the statement, which was made on the hip-hop podcast Drink Champs. It hurt my people. It hurt black people. He told paparazzi, so I want to apologize to hurting them because right now God is showing me by what Adidas is doing and by what the media is doing. I know what it feels like to have a knee on my neck now. Unquote. Yay. The reference to Adidas is that... Uh, that company has cut commercial ties with the former Kanye West. And 
Jack Dorsey, Twitter's co-founder and former chief executive, suggested that the mass firings at Twitter were necessary because he had expanded the company too fast, according to The Guardian. Quote, I own the responsibility for why everyone is in this situation. I grew the company too quickly. I apologize for that. Unquote. Jack Dorsey. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. gentlemen uh, somebody gave the game away Nate Silver head of a, a polling organization 538 said this week new rule you're not allowed to criticize any pollster or polling aggregator unless you pre-register your own forecast predict the following and then he has bunch of Republican House win, Republican Senate seats, senators, you know, all these things that you should predict in order to criticize polling. So it really is just a fortune teller racket that preoccupies so much time and space in American news media every election year. Because it's so much cheaper than reporting the news. Nate, my uh, predictions will be in the trash. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of this week's edition of the show. Program returns next week at the same time over these same radio stations. And on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it would be just like not predicting the elections, but just letting them happen. If you get it, join me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. The tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address of this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts. Oh, it all sounds so ancient, doesn't it? And playlist of the music here, and a lot of stuff to read. And listen to all at harryshearer.com. And um, maybe I'm still on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. And maybe not for long. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans. Flagship station is of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long.
from the home of the Homer.